these relationships are going to last so much longer. Multiples of any project, book, course, even business. All those things pale in comparison to the longevity of relationships. What is up, you sexy bastards? It is your boy Tapas, aka Rabbi Can't Lose, aka Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talked to best-selling author and YouTuber Tiago Forte. After years of struggling with a chronic illness that no specialist could find a cure, Tiago created his own process to research, collect, and organize information so he could figure out how to live a healthier and pain-free life. That experience led him to write his first best-selling book that has done super, super well, and people have loved it, called Building a Second Brain. I've had him on the show in the past, which you can check out, and I was very impressed with how he approaches business and how openly he shares all of his details. Now he has a second book called The Para Method, a simple and intuitive four-step system that helps sort out all the information flooding our brains from the digital world so we can live a better, smarter, and more fulfilled life. You can check out The Para Method at fortelabs.com slash books. That's F-O-R-T-E-L-A-B-S dot com slash books. If you ever want to learn about how best-selling books become bestsellers, you'll love this episode. And if you're not trying to have a best-selling book, there is a lot of great tips on how to start and do marketing for any types of businesses. Here's three gigantic things you're going to take away. Number one, how long does it actually take for nonfiction books to hit peak popularity? It is definitely longer than you think. Number two, what is the real moneymaker when you write a book? Hmm. And the one critical promotion tactic that almost every author misses out on. This is definitely a doozy. You're going to love this episode and a bunch more ear nuggets along the way. Before we dive into the show, make sure you're on my email list at okdork.com. Lately, we've been sending some fire exclusive content and products and suggestions just for email subscribers. Don't miss out, and we did a site redesign, so you can also go check it at the same time at okdork.com. That's okdork.com. And check out my course, Monthly 1K. It's just 20 bucks. I don't, is it really just 20 bucks? For a limited time, and it's helped thousands of people to start their business journey, and it will help you too. Head over to okdork.com slash monthly1k to get signed up. Also, a special pre-show shout out to listener Fun With Friends. A lot of S's. They left a review saying almost as good as tacos. That's not true. As a small business owner, Noah's podcast has been instrumental in helping me work through different problems. His conversations will give you actionable takeaways while at the same time being funny and entertaining. Highly recommend hitting subscribe on this one. Damn, that was really nice. I hope you feel just as good as I do right now. I love every one of you who listens to the show, and especially people who leave comments like this. And if you want to shout out in a future episode, leave a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. I check every single one of them. How's Tiago Forte? Good, man. I'm not freaking writing a book. That's 50% of my bandwidth I got back. And the book is coming out? Yeah, it comes out in 18 days. For people that don't know, what's it actually like to write a book? What is it like? It's hard to compare it to anything, honestly. I could compare it to having a kid, but it's quite different than that. I don't know, man. What would you compare it to? You're finishing up, right? You submitted your manuscript? Yeah, I have a book marketing person I'm working with full-time. And for the audience out there, we'll link it in the show notes. Your retro on your book was just fire. Just like the level of thoroughness and what you shared and the details and how much it cost you. Now, I thought you write a book, you put it out there, but it's any book on a published level is like three years. And... I'm trying to be in proportionality. I think sometimes we do these things where we work so hard and, and on the front part and on the back part, what actually matters too, we don't do. Yeah. And so I'm trying to put in proportional amount of work on the promotion, which doesn't come out till January 30th. Wow. So I'm already lining up bulk sales. We were just doing like a debrief. How do we integrate it into AppSumo? Trying to figure out who should I do videos with? Who should I fly to? Good. Yeah, it's all worth doing. 
I tried to highlight this in my retrospective series. My model was Tim Ferriss, which tells you everything you need to know. Especially back then, for like four-hour body was so maximalist, just no limits, grind your body and soul and psyche into the dirt. And so I'd spent money, especially because it was pandemic boom times for online courses. We just had so much cash. I spent it with abandon. So I'm not sure that all that spending was necessary, but I did want to kind of open source it because, yeah, people are like, oh, you just put the book out there and it's up to the whims of the market. No, I tried everything in my power to possibly make it succeed. <laughs> when I was single, that's what I was doing to find a, a girlfriend, a wife. I just, I stayed at home and I just waited. <laughs> I just waited for them to come knock on the door and it never happened. Exactly. It's a fun grind though. It's a fun experience putting the book together. And it's been interesting to find something in general for all of us that we like. That's what a business is. You find or you create something you like, and then your job is to help others that you think will benefit from it. And so it's almost an enjoyable experience now. Who can I work with to talk about the book? Because I think the book will be helpful to other people. And I think that applies across any type of business. Oh, yeah. I also found it so enjoyable. It was the best thing that ever happened to me and the worst thing. It was just the highest highs and the lowest lows. But oh my God, there's moments of just incredible joy and just like, a sense of purpose that is unbelievable and a sense of meaning. I can think of myself as an author now. I'm going to write many more books. Despite all the pain and suffering, it was just a fantastic experience. When you said you went balls to the wall, which I actually don't know what that analogy means because I don't know if anybody wants their balls on a wall. <laughs> I've never really thought about that. What does that mean? Because people say work hard. I always want to know like how hard. What was like 20-hour days, doing any podcast you could? What are some of the feelings or moments you remember? Yeah, actually, now that I think about it, I don't know exactly what that means either. There's times in life or in business where you're strategic. You're really trying to find the 80-20 or the 199. You're really thinking about where to concentrate your efforts. And this was not that. I just said yes to everything. Everything. Anyone who wanted to interview me from the biggest podcaster to the person who this is their third episode, I just said yes. Every kind of spending, every way that we could spend money, even if it was a long shot, even if it seemed very indirect. I just said yes. I just said yes to everything. A lot of that is what led to burnout. But I tried to do it all, basically. I'm noticing that I do like marketing and I like figuring out goals and I like working backwards and a lot of things that I've put out online and I do with AppSumo. But I'm noticing with this book, I'm a little bit like, I'll take every sale one by one. And so if it means getting on a podcast, and I do notice though, as that's like building up momentum, now I'm trying to start being a little more selective. But I think at the beginning for anything, it's just like, Whatever you can get, get it going, get the ball rolling. And the momentum is strong. And that positive vision, I'm trying to do pre-sales one by one. And someone said no to me. And I was like, oh, I guess this book sucks. And I'm just going to quit. <laughs> I think that's a common feeling for a lot of people across the board. And then a few hours later, someone bought it. And I was like, you made a good thing. You're proud of what you made. And I think we have to remind ourselves, like, you created something you're proud of. And maybe not going to be for everyone. And that's okay. Oh, yeah. But it definitely can take a psychological toll. I'm kind of surprised you want to write more. You want more of that, the high. Yeah, I already noticed for the second one, I did it so differently. It's actually quite an interesting story how it came about. Where I, I basically wrote the book and then asked the publisher to buy it. And they said yes, to my amazement. If you look at the duration for the first book, the total duration of the project was like three and a half years. For the second one is six months. From first conversation to book on store shelves. Six months. Isn't that wild? Yeah. Like when they say, oh, well, no, we can't do it any faster. They can go faster if they're motivated. <laughs> what do you think what motivated the fact that you, you have sales at the end of the day? It was so interesting. For the first book, I felt I was the supplicant. I was the humble writer there. 
asking for the blessing of the publisher. Please allow me to publish this book. Like, I was like a gopher. Anything that you suggested I do, I was like, okay, yes, masters. <laughs> but then for the second one, there was this distinct moment where I sensed that the power dynamic had completely reversed because the first book was a success. They make all their profit on 1% or less than 1% of the book. So if you're part of that 1% or 0.1%, it's like an actor who's like a name brand actor. Now they are the boss in a way. And so with this second one, I'm calling the shots. I'm like, I want this. I want that. I want that. I don't want to do interviews. For the first one would have been, except for you, you're an exception. <laughs> but I didn't really want to do a ton of interviews this time around. And I suddenly had to go through this mindset shift where I'm like, okay, now I'm the one that has leverage basically. And I need to use that. I need to actually say what I want and demand it. My mind wonders then, are you going to be hungry enough? Will it be a successful... I'm interviewing a cyclist next week and I bicycle a lot. And I was wondering, would I rather make a million dollars cycling or a million dollars on a computer? And I was like, I like the computer because I can keep going, right? Cyclists, eventually that gives up and you have this extreme hunger and I will do anything. I'm curious, does that fade as now Tiago's full or is it just a different level of expectations? When did you think it was a success, the first book? Oh, interesting. Wow, that is a great question. When was it exactly? Gosh, there were a lot of little milestones where I released the fear or the doubt or the uncertainty was alleviated a little bit. But I think when we hit 100,000 copies, I don't know why that was so meaningful. I kind of felt like, sigh of relief, okay, I did my job. <laughs> and the funny thing is, I did an analysis of top-selling nonfiction books as to when they peaked. I wanted to know, when does a nonfiction book peak in terms of its popularity? And so I used Google search volume via Google Trends as a proxy for popularity. And then I got 20 well-known nonfiction books in this space. Guess what was the average length of time that passed before those books peaked in popularity? What would you guess? This is top 20 selling of all time? It's 20 like name brand, very recognizable books in self-development. I'm trying to think of books I've read and when I think the wave is over. It's either going to be insanely short, like one week, but I think the reality might be like three years. Six years. Oh, wow. Six years. Think of getting things done. My model is published 2001. So it was peaked around 2007. And I didn't hear about it until 2013. Once you heard about it, it's over. Six years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm usually late to things. It's so funny because what that told me is, in a way, like there's hits. There's a book that is a big hit. But then to become a perennial bestseller, that's the term they use. Are you a perennial bestseller? Can't really know for two, three, four, five years after. You just don't know. Yeah. I was surprised how many people are like, hey, I want to help. But I think it's the reward to putting yourself out there publicly in different ways, like content or applying or just putting out a product that benefit people. And then people are like, yeah, they want to help. Yeah. But it's definitely one. I don't know how many people actually read. I think people say they read because they have the book. Doesn't mean they actually read the book. Uh -uh. 100,000 books is very different than 100,000 followers or 100,000 email lists. I want to come back on this book, but in terms of that previous question, so how are you thinking about staying as hungry? Maybe tease out this new book for the audience. Are you not doing any other interviews? I'm doing a few to appease the publisher, <laughs> the biggest ones that they have. And then where I'm really emphasizing this time is other creators. Conversations like this one, I'm seeing like a mainstream media mention in some big newspaper, some site does almost nothing. Like I think we've known that for some time. Whereas Ali Abdal or you or someone just casually mentioning it in their newsletter or YouTube video will sell for years. So it's why I started this WhatsApp group that you're a part of, is I just saw, wait a minute, these creators like me are the media 
empires of the future, I should invest in them and those relationships rather than go and chase mainstream recognition. What you did is, it's very smart. I want to encourage everyone out there. You have a few friends that are authors or maybe a lot, and I don't know the number. And then you brought them together and you connected them with other people who are now connecting with others. And it's people, myself, Ali, Nat Eliason, Nicholas Coley. And the fact is that it becomes a hub, but then as our books come out, it's like, hey, we can now help each other. And I was shocked. I was thinking about it this morning. One of the most powerful things for this book for me is that I have people's phone numbers and DMs open to be able to communicate. Huh. Like the fact that I can text you and be like, hey, I'm working on a book. Can I come on your show? Or hey, I'm working on this. Can you introduce me to this person? Hey, I have this thing. Can you buy 100 copies? And the difference maker is the phone number or the DM. Yeah. And so it's how do you create that hub or start building those helping relationships like literally decades? Yeah, totally. It's just what you said. These relationships are going to last so much longer. Multiples of any project, book, course, even business. All those things pale in comparison to the longevity of relationships especially since hopefully we'll be living to 150. If all the science comes out, yeah. You know what the origin of that was Chris Gillibo, who's a serial author and has supported me a lot. I was talking to him last year before my book came out and he mentioned, he's like, oh yeah, me and James Clear and Ryan Holiday and a couple other like ultra well-known authors. Every year, you know, we get together and we find a cabin in the woods and we come together and we workshop our books. And then he just came to a stop. And then I realized, oh, I'm not invited to that group. <laughs> you were like waiting though. You're like, dude, me? You want to invite me? I was like, oh yeah, yeah. So where's my invitation? But then I realized, oh, that's a different generation. I started talking to different authors and there's cohorts of around five to 10 years. All the authors that start writing books within that cohort, they're associated with each other. Their books are in conversation with each other. People compare and contrast them. And the ones that do it right, they form a little cabal a little inner Illuminati secret society of just constantly promoting each other's books. It's just like a circle. How do you say is hungry or not for this next book? What are your expectations for it? In a way, I'm much less willing to do things that are not extremely high leverage, is how I would put it. So I don't really want to do interviews except with the very biggest podcasts. I sent my publicist. These are the exact podcasts that I'm willing to go on. And it was like the top 10 or 20. Because instead of going on small podcasts, I want to do a TV show. That's the high leverage thing. I think the idea of leverage is a really interesting concept, no matter where you are in your business. Because I think someone who's like, well, I'm small and I should be on the show, you can get other people too, and then you build that up. And I think you're thinking about your time just differently as you're honestly getting older and have less time available. Mm -hmm. So it's like, what's the best use of this time or the highest return for this time? Yeah, exactly. Pre-book life, you had your course, you had your content, you had a lot of material out there, second brain. How has it changed your life doing this whole book thing? So it's interesting because the launch of the book happened at the same time as the launch of our YouTube channel. Not the launch. We had a small, lame YouTube channel before. Starting about a year before the book came out, I started investing heavily into YouTube. And so it's hard in my mind to completely distinguish those two things. But the book and the YouTube together just transformed everything. The profile that I have, the reach... The exposure, the opportunities I have access to are just like comparing with two or three years ago. Two or three years ago, I was a blogger that tweeted a lot. And now I'm just so much more out there. It's so much easier to access me and my message and my content through either the book or YouTube. It's like a hundred times more accessible to people. For someone just getting started, what avenues with the experience you have? Does it seem like doing a book makes sense or YouTube makes sense? Your approach was the content and I think your course was your first big money making. Oh yeah, almost the only money-making thing. 
I became self-employed in 2013 through about the last year. It was the only thing we sold. I had one product for almost a decade. That was the only thing that we did was live cohorts. And I have a blog post about this now, how actually that was a great strategy for many years because we had all of our attention on one thing. I actually think that a lot of creators diversify too early. It's so easy to start up something new on the internet. You can do it in a day, but then your attention gets split more and more. So I really wanted to just have all our attention on one thing. But then as the pandemic ended last year, it could bit us in the butt because people stopped being excited about cohort-based courses and we had no other source of revenue. So last year, 2022, our profit dropped 87% from the year before. And that's what the blog post is about, basically how we dug ourselves out of that hole at the start of this year. <laughs> I saw that number at, in January, looking at the accountant's report. Okay, 87% drop in profit. Okay. We were barely profitable, which is pretty bad for an online business in 2022. And then profitability per subscriber had dropped 92%. So we were making per email subscriber 92% less money. And so the first half of 2023, this year, I just massively diversified. We launched six new ways of making money in the last six months. Just diversified with that same audience into six new areas that have completely turned around the profitability. And now we're more profitable than ever but it was a tricky few months. How were you mentally during that time? What was going on in your head? The reason I ask is because when AppSumo 22 was tough, a few months this year are tough. For me, my mind is everyone's getting fired. And then it's like, Noah sucks. This whole thing is shit. I literally have a business coach we're working on. Anxiety is going to happen for anyone, for everyone, literally. And how do you have better plans and better processes in place? It doesn't have to be the extreme all or nothing. And that's something I'm working on. So I'm curious when you saw that number. And were you surprised? Did you know it was coming in at that number? And then mentally, how did you process that? I knew it was coming. I didn't know it was so severe. I went through a similar black and white thing. Like My first reaction was like, okay, we can move back to Mexico, cheaper cost of living, sell the house, lay off everyone. Lauren, you can come back and work in the business. We were going into like panic mode. And we actually had to do, I think that the lowest point was having to lay people off. Three people around February and then two more recently. That was pretty tough. That's always tough to have to deliver that news. And it was the first time we'd ever not grown as a business in 10 years. We had never had a down year or even like a down quarter. It had always been up and to the right. And so the psychology of not growing, the psychology of retreat, of retraction was completely new to me. It was pretty tough. Go on. <laughs> I have a business coach too, Mina, who mostly what we work on, I always like come to our 90 minute calls with a business problem. And then it ends at the end with me like crying and like breaking down and remembering <laughs> my childhood and how someone was mean to me. And <laughs> uh, that's literally this, man, this is payback, dude. Yeah, we just work through different things. Like, gosh, one thing is, we really had to work with me being able to feel disappointment was a big one. I hate the feeling of disappointment. I hate it. I resist it so hard because to me, disappointment feels that's the moment where I have to feel the failure. I have to actually feel the grief, the sadness, the failure. As long as I am not disappointed and I'm positive and optimistic and it's okay, we're going to learn some lessons and we're going to come out of the stronger. But she kept bringing me back to just, okay, but that's all good. But feel the disappointment. Otherwise, it's going to be just this repressed, festering wound that causes you to do all these compensating things as a result that you don't want to do. That was one example. How about for you? How did you move through that process for AppSumo? Yeah, with AppSumo, we had April and May. June was debatable for a little while. 
April, I like held the ship. I was like, hey, let's be patient. And then May, I was like, we're fucked. <laughs> so I think one, it's noticing maybe some of the behaviors that happen when I'm feeling anxious. And what I do is I start suffocating. I start applying pressure to different people. And I'm like, no, this needs to happen. This needs to happen. This needs to happen. What are we doing? What happened? And so it's just being aware, am I triggered? What's really happening? I think some of the other areas are like, do we have a plan? Do we have a budget? And how are we executing it at the higher level? Because we have cash in the bank to survive. We have a budget that's set. We're actually not under budget, technically. We have a plan that we believe in. Is there anything not true here? Mm. And since June, numbers have gotten better. And correspondingly, I've also backed off a lot of people. Whenever people are like, oh, I don't micromanage, I'm like, that's what micromanagers say. And so it's been interesting to really trust the team, leave some of these conversations and trust things are going to work out. And if they're not, do you have the right budget? Do you have the right plan? Do you have the right people? Mm-hmm. Being in those kind of areas and backing off of them and just looking at the higher level picture. I think it also empowers people to solve the problem. Because I think we know these in theory, like you want to let people do it, but when things are bad, you want to make sure, hey, do they have the support they need? If not, let them have fun with that problem. Because it is interesting, these problems lead to opportunities. A little cheesy as shit, but it's like, hey, what's this opportunity now? Like you had a problem of you made no profit. Okay, maybe we need to diversify. What are the six units? Yeah, let's see. Okay, we started selling newsletter, basically sponsored placements, and started doing YouTube sponsored videos. Each of those was five figures. We created a self-paced course. Our course has always been live, which is great, but limiting because some people can't join Zoom calls. So we basically used everything we learned with YouTube, create a pre-recorded self-paced course. That's done six figures since then. Oh, we created an affiliate program. We went around to all the different SaaS tools and courses that we recommend and said, okay, let's not just refer people to these for free. Signed up for all the affiliate programs. And now we have a page on our website that is like everything we recommend with affiliate links, which has also done great. Oh, that was when I decided to do the second book, which is amazing. Like I had this series on my blog for years and years. It was like a six, seven part series, which is half the book length already for free on my blog. And I just decided to turn that into a book. And we're here just a few months later. That's already generated over six figures and it just advances alone. So I was like, wow, just sitting on my blog was a six figure asset, just lying there, sitting there unused. I think that's just a great reminder for anyone in any business, which is what's something that's already working. So many times people are like, I need to come up with a new thing. I need a new thing. But most of what you said actually doesn't sound that new. And I like that. Hey, we already recommend products. We can get paid for them because we're recommending them either way. We have a course that's live, but maybe people don't want it live. I like that. We started connecting more with YouTube creators that are small, like 5,000 subs, less. Really trying to integrate with them and say, hey, if you like our products, make some videos about it and we'll pay you for it. And that's like really working. We did it before, but now it's working. We're like, okay, we're going to try to to scale that out. So it's interesting to think about what do you already have instead of something brand new? I like that. That's what you guys did. The videos look good. I saw your thumbnail recently about the most popular idea ever invented. Yeah. I was like on the couch with my girlfriend last night and I was like, we're going to watch. It was a great thumbnail. Thank you. And then I did want to come back to a few things that I was curious about. Is blogging dead? I thought blogging is dead. Are you the last one out there on Google? That's why you're winning? Maybe. Yeah, it kind of is dead, but it's my first love. And these days, that's what I'm doing the most of. So part of the sort of transition to return to profitability was me naming or promoting our ops person to COO. Because I had this realization that a lot of the problems in the business were for me trying to do everything, not delegating enough. And I had this assumption, which actually, I went to a mastermind retreat with Ali Abdal, and he cleared this up for me. 
it was like, I thought that, oh, as the leader, as the CEO, I have to make all the hard decisions and have all the hard conversations. So I go around the company having hard conversations. But then I realized the reason they're hard is because I'm not good at them. I'm really bad at such conversations. And so we have a situation where me, the CEO, is just running around doing all the stuff that I'm worst at while preventing anyone else from doing it. And so I really needed to move all my direct reports to her. She runs the business day to day now. I am stepping back to be a creator again. And I'm blogging like hours a day. Writing is like my true sweet spot. But to answer your question, I find that the blog is research. That's what it is. Our best videos are when the YouTube team goes into Google Analytics, which we have over 500 articles I've written. It's a lot to work with. They look at the most viewed posts, the ones that get the most recurring traffic. They go into those posts. There's thousands upon thousands of words that I've written about details and examples and case studies. They turn that into a video. There's no way that video is not going to succeed. It's so well validated. And so I really see myself as like the head researcher of the company. I love that. They're validating in light ways. We look for kind of parallel topics. So either videos we've done that work, we're like, we do a bunch of them, as you can see on our channel. I saw a guy do a video last night. Wow, he did a video. I'm going to get someone to quit their job and give them money. The video wasn't actually well done, but the video had a lot of views. And I was like, oh, wow, there's something interesting that people want from seeing a live, quit your job, let's get going. So I might do something like that in the future. But I love that you're, you're testing small, you're validating and then doubling down with the higher production videos. And the videos, dude, they're, it's funny. You can see when people take it seriously, and then you get the results from taking it seriously. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Your channel has been one of our inspirations. You're just killing it as well. Your thumbnails are also, I often laugh. They're great. Oh, thank you for talking about my thumbnails. I thought no one would ever notice. <laughs> <laughs> A few things I'm still very curious about. How did you organize your book marketing? And I think whether people here are writing books or not, I am curious how you do it. You're known for organization. So how did you organize it and how did you prioritize it? Yeah, I'm actually on Tuesday going to release part six of my retrospective, which is all about, it's probably like 5,000 words on the marketing and promotion. So this is what I've been working on. How do you like spearhead it? Do you have a goal you work towards? Yeah, we did have a series of goals. We had a goal for 10,000 pre-orders because I'd heard that was a number that made it likely that you would become a bestseller wanted to hit the New York Times. So we did the 10,000. In fact, I think we almost hit 13,000 pre-orders, which was nice. Already? Or the last book? On the first book. Okay, got it. On the first book, which was enough to be on two out of the three bestseller lists, Wall Street Journal and USA Today. But we did not do the other goal, which was to be a New York Times bestseller. And then, let's see, I think those were the main goals. I didn't even think past the launch much, to be honest. 100,000 within 10 months. We sold 10,000 books for 10 months in a row was cool. But then, oh, you'll find this funny. I recently came up with a new set of goals for the book. And then I realized, wait, 100,000 copies, that was like the last goal that I even thought about. So let me come up with another bunch of outrageous goals. So here they are. This is on my blog. Host a thousand person conference on building a second brain in LA in person. Have a scientific paper published validating and somehow confirming my theories. Guest lecture at Harvard. Sell a million copies within five years. Times Square Billboard, feature-length film made about building a second brain, being name-dropped in a rap song or hip-hop song. Yeah, I got you on that one. <laughs> it's also good, by the way, to put these out. I think sometimes you put it out in the universe, who knows? Yes, yeah. Those are just like seven or eight out of 20. But, oh yeah, I'm a huge believer, especially if you have followers, if you have an audience. Like, who knows who's in that audience? I could just make a phone call and make one of those things happen. 
I've been asking for help. I think that's such a great concept just in general. Like who's already in your network that can probably help you more than you realize? I, I think people want to help and it doesn't have to be a lot. It doesn't have to be a thousand, it could be a hundred, it could be 10, it could be one. How much time does like book marketing and in general do you spend organizing? I'm curious how much time you spend on that versus the actual execution. You know what I think is unique to book launches is they're so rare. Even a dedicated hardcore serial author is not going to do it more than once every few years. So I actually think it doesn't make that much sense to make the planning super, super rigorous and tight and precise because you're going to do it once. You're going to do all of it one time. If you ever do it again in the future, the whole world and media landscape will probably have changed. And so what I always liken it to is like a political campaign. Think about a candidate for president, how they must organize their campaign. It's like loose, ongoing, traveling circus of a process where it's they're hitting cities and things are happening and they have to make commercials and a lot of creative and also a lot of coordination and a lot of appearances, but none of it is dialed into a T because it's essentially a one-time event. That does make me feel better. But I think what's interesting, and I'm trying to do the same at AppSumo, and is how do you create something that is worthy of talking. In your business, you know, at AppSumo, one of the things we've done is we create kind of like quarterly events. So we have Sumo Day, we have another one coming out in August, Black Friday, we have National Taco Day. Those are marketing events, but I think within businesses, like having a book is a really good idea. Like, okay, now I have to promote something. So I wonder in other businesses, like you have the Power Method coming out, like having these things that give you a reason to go promote, even if it's three years, maybe more often. Yes, this is so important. This is so under-leveraged by, I think, a lot of online creators. Because we're used to just, oh, the evergreen, timeless, just build once and sell many times thing. But this is something we learn with cohorts. Every cohort, you want it to be a happening. You want it to feel like a music festival or a conference or a movie premiere. Like these one-time events, like act now or this will never happen again, or at least not for a long time, I think is critical to do. AppSumo is literally just built off that, like built off the FOMO fact. It's interesting when you incentivize with some time, like, hey, there's a reason to take an action right now versus like, all right, I'll just get it later. I was at an art studio this week in, in Barcelona where I'm at, and we go to this print shop and I looked at all these prints and I was like, if any of these prints had sold out on them, I'd be like, damn, I really wanted that one because there's someone else wanted it or it's just not going to be available and I don't have to make a decision. It creates a different level. What things in your business for the book marketing as well have not worked. That's something I was thinking about yesterday. We've tried for a year a lot of other marketing things, and this one is the one that seems to be working so far. So I was curious for you in, in your business, the courses, the content, as well as the book, what hasn't worked? What hasn't worked? Interesting. My mind goes mostly to mistakes, which definitely did not work. Trying to hire a bunch of people, thinking that that automatically leads to growth is a mistake I made last year. Does not, I can confirm. <laughs> working with a promotional agency. I think if there's one thing I would just completely not do, it's working with an agency. And that's mostly because as a sort of online native creator with a team, we can do so much more than any agency. We can move so much faster. We know our audience so much better. We have so much more experience, whatever platforms we're active on. That was an interesting moment because I assumed, oh, like there must be like book marketing agencies that have all these secrets. They like know these like these secret behind the scenes tactics where you go and you talk to this person and you like make this thing happen and then boom, that 10,000 books are sold. There's no secrets. Literally no one has any secrets or knows really how books are sold in general. <laughs> All right, so the agency didn't work out. Yeah, hiring a lot of people. Actually, this is a good one. We tried this whole new initiative and it just completely didn't work out. I think mostly because we've been so conservative. 
we move so slowly and we take our time moving into new things so much that we tend to not have huge blowups. Oh, we put a little too much emphasis on this or that. One thing that didn't work was we tried to pivot from a cohort model selling like one cohort at a time to memberships. That completely did not work. It's really hard to sell memberships recurring. I thought, oh, membership is just like the same thing, but recurring. Instead of selling once, you sell many times. It's easy. People do not like to buy recurring subscriptions, what we discovered. They want to just buy the one-time thing. Mm. And did you guys get rid of the memberships? What did you guys do? We just split them. We just said, okay, you can buy a cohort. That's a one-time experience. It's basically an event. And or you can buy a membership, which is just access to the community and different ongoing events. Building a second brain was initially just one live course. But over time, it's just diversified and spread into a whole portfolio. Now we have two separate books, the original book and a follow-up book. We have a live course and a self-paced course. And then we have an ongoing membership. There's at least five items in that portfolio, but all based on the same IP. This is the thing. No new IP had to be invented. It's all based on that same material that was part of the original course that was really part of almost all the IP in that whole portfolio was contained in the first blog post that I wrote in like 2014. When I go back and I see how complete that was, it was almost like when you hear about artists where the idea just arrives, like it's downloaded from the universe all at once. In retrospect, that's what happened. It was almost fully formed in that first blog post. And I've just been expanding and building on that since then. What's your spirit animal? Or when you think of an animal, Tiago, because I have one I'm in mind for you, but I'm curious which one you think. Spirit animal. I like the bull. I like the bull. Okay, what about it? I just move slowly, head down, but really methodically, step by step over a long period of time is kind of my MO when it comes to like energy. Yeah, because you're intentional. I think I'm working on pausing more. The book stuff definitely feels a little more chaotic. What I like at AppSumo, it's like, we have strategy, we have three objectives, we have a budget, and it's very much towards that. I think book, I want to feel a little bit more parallel to that. Even our YouTube channel, we put out two videos a month. That's it, and we're very intentional with it. Maybe I should also be a little kinder to myself. Like, hey, it's okay for now. And maybe that'll lead to a, a little bit more tighter organization. Yeah, being kind to yourself, that's always so important. There's the six years peaking thing. It feels like it's all about the launch, that the only thing that matters is the release day. But that release day will pass and it will almost be this anti-climax. You'll have done all the work already. You'll get up in the morning on that very day and it'll be just like any other day. Then you'll just realize, oh, promoting this book is like forever. It's like my life. It's just a part of my life, essentially forever now. One thing that helps me, I wonder if this would be helpful for you too, is the big difference between an online product, like a course or a template or a whatever thing you buy online, which is the business you're in, the business I'm in, and a book is, unlike a course or product, is seen primarily as a cultural artifact, not a commercial one. Yes. So what I mean by that is, with a course, I'm always hesitant to ask what you were saying about making requests. If you have a friend, you don't want to be like, can you promote my course? Like, maybe if they have an affiliate link, they can make some money. It's like kind of slimy. At least I always feel slimy. But a book, people not only are willing to, they want to. It has actually enhances their status and their esteem. It's like they're promoting like a piece of artwork or a sculpture or a, a piece of theater. A book is seen as a cultural artifact. And thus, people are way more open to helping you with it, to giving you endorsements, giving you 
explicit kinds of support. It sounds like you're going through this too. I had to completely change my mindset around asking for help and asking for support when I realized that people have no qualms over promoting books. Yeah, that's a good point. People don't mind as much for sure. I will say there is an art of an ask. Like one, you got to do it. That's first off. But number two is how well is the relationship? Some guy emailed me a few days ago. He's like, hey, can you send me money? I'm going to send you an invoice and you work with me. And I was like, I don't even know who you are. I was just like, I don't even know you, man. Like, but then there's other friends. Like I literally like my buddy Ian who was here. He could ask. He's like, I need $10,000. I can't tell you why. I'll pay you back soon. I would give it to him. It's different levels of where that ask is and the relationship they ask. Yeah. One other thing. How is email for you? I'm like struggling. My email list food growth feels like pretty flat. Yeah, I guess I was curious how that's going on for you. It's going pretty well. I would say our email list has always been slow and steady. We've never had one of these like crazy exponential spikes that I see online. I will say when you look at the lifetime graph of our email list, there is such a clear inflection point right when the book launches. Two, three years of almost like a straight line. And then it just pivots, maybe accelerates by like almost doubling. And then since then, it's been on this whole other trajectory. And is there anything specifically that's helping grow it? Because like, you know, I have like a pop-up on Upstream. I haven't really optimized it in a bit. So it's probably like even double checking it there. But I have a pop-up on okdork.com. Sometimes we have it in our videos. I have lead magnet here and there. But it's been pretty, pretty flat, I would say, relative to unsubs and things like that. We just do everything. We do all the stuff that you said. One thing that, that has surprised me is the power of a really good lead magnet, like not just a lead magnet, but like a really good one. I think something like two thirds of our subscriber growth comes from two lead magnets that are just like insanely good. This is your quick start guide on buildingasecondbrain.com? It's like we have a video, one of our most popular videos about how we manage our home using Notion. And then we have the Notion template for the home dashboard that is shown in the video for download. People are just like, I want that. And then the quick start guide, I think is another one. Is there like a network thing you can share or something like that? I was going to say the creator network is doing really well. What's the idea behind that? It's basically when someone signs up to any ConvertKit newsletter, like anyone's, they're shown other ones that they are suggested. I think I was lucky that I was part of the beta. So I was like one of the default ones that just appeared on people's things. But I think that's generating like 50 subscribers a day, I think. It's a good idea. Well, I think the idea there for anyone out there is like, what's already happening in your ecosystem that you can take advantage of? We have AppSumo and SendFox has it. Maybe I could do that. But I, I like the idea in general. It's like, what's working that you can keep making work better? Exactly. I think that is a really important principle. It'd be different for an author that has no platform, no following. But I think for people like you and me, when you already do have one, you have access to certain amounts of attention that are so much easier to just use those rather than go and try to find like some new kind of attention. I wonder what our conversation will be in the next year or two. Where you're like, oh man, we did all these projects. Maybe we shouldn't have done six. We should have done two. I could have promoted less. Here's the things I did really great. But I think most of the time, you don't really regret as much the things you do. You regret the things you probably just didn't do. Like, ah, I should have tried to do that. At least you did the things or you tried the things. Yeah, so to give you an idea, I started my email list in 2013. So 2013 through June of 2022. So nine years. June 2022 was the launch of my book. I grew to almost exactly 50,000. So 50,000 subscribers in nine years. Since June of last year, so it's been what, 13 months? We've more than doubled that. So we did more in the last 13 months than in the last, actually quite a bit more. We're at 110,000 now. So we did 60,000 in the last 13 months versus 50,000 in the previous nine years. 
And that's mostly YouTube and the book, I guess, have really been the catalyst round. It's the two, which both launched around the same time. What's the lesson there? And we'll end with that. What's the lesson for someone else that's just getting started or has something going around that? And the power that goes to email and it's like flywheel of sorts that you have going. Yeah, it, it finally feels like that. For years, it's just a slog. I don't think there's any way to get past just the slog of like building the base of that. But I don't know what the lesson is because I feel like I, I won the lottery where the pandemic started. Everyone wanted to take live cohort-based courses because they were dying for social interaction. We had the most well-known or mature cohort-based course. It was the only thing that we did. So 100% of our attention was on it. I don't know what someone else can take away from this. What feels like an incredibly lucky series of events. And then those sales funded everything. Everything I've done since then, where does all that money come from? It The sales of that course, it was the funding, it was the cash cow for our foray into YouTube, which has been tremendously expensive, by the way. We're also working on a case study. We've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on YouTube over the past 18 months. It funded the creation of this office, the studio, where I'm able to work from home. It funded the growth of the team. It funded the book. We've spent over a million dollars promoting this book. Wild. Where did all that come from? Wasn't the advance, it was the course sales. It's <laughs> crazy. All right, Mr. Forte, I wish you luck on the book launch. I'm going to end recording now. I don't know how to end sometimes. I'm like, the end. That is a wrap. I hope you love the episode as much as we did sharing it with you. Go support Tiago if you are interested in his new book, The Para Method. I bought it fortelabs.com slash books. That's F-O-R-T-E-L-A-B-S dot com slash books. Next, text a friend you love him. Yo, dog, let's go paddleboarding together. Just by the way, I'm really anti-kayaking. I just, I don't know why I feel like kayaking. Before you go, tweet or DM me on Instagram at Noah Kagan and let me know what you thought of this episode. I love hearing from you. And lastly, every time I use someone else's booking system for the online scheduling, I'm reminded why we built tidycal.com. It is so much simpler which means it's way easier for people to book you if you're trying to do scheduling and you can get paid doing it. So check it out at tidycal.com. It's free to use or it's 29 bucks for life. There are people using it to make over six figures in their coaching and consulting businesses. It's also got an auto import from Calendly, group scheduling, auto availability with other people and more. So check it out, tidycal.com. Finally, a couple shout outs to the amazing team who makes all this happen. Thank you to Jason at podcasttech.com for making these podcasts sound so fresh. Thank you to Jeremy, Cam, Sasa, Nikki, Jen, Tommy, and Sylvie from the Door Team for all the magic y'all do. And finally, shout out to the AppSumo Plus team, Olo, Mitchell, Katie, Frank Laporte, and Chaperone Elona. Thanks for giving more value to the Plus customers with an additional 10% off, aka 19% off. Thanks for giving more value to the Plus customers with the additional 10% off and all the things we're doing for AppSumo Plus customers this quarter and beyond. And thank you to the product team and launch operations to help make sure everything was set up smoothly for all the Plus customers. Have a prosperous day, my friend. What's your favorite vegetable? <laughs>